morning. It's, um, it is a pleasure to be with you. My GPS decided to have a moment today. We were on our way to the, uh, to the meeting and it decided I'm going to go a different way just to throw you off. And uh, You ever had your GPS do that to you? For no apparent reason, it just decides I feel like a change. And we're driving past the Rolls-Royce testing centre. I'm thinking, I remember seeing that yesterday. There's one occasion that there was in the news that um, two Polish people were driving in England and um, it was foggy and they put their GPS on and the GPS led them off a cliff. Thankfully, they stopped before they reached the cliff. Um, I think the funniest one I've had, I was doing a meeting in um, Norfolk at a filling station meeting, which is like a rural um, church gathering, booming a little bit, buddy. Why don't you take the volume down a little bit? Um, and... Uh, we're driving along and we, dri- and we arrive and we're in somebody's back garden. But we had to go down this really weird, narrow track and we eventually arrived and I thought, hmm, this doesn't feel like it's the right meeting. And the problem was I had no means of contacting anybody, um, which made for a very exciting day. But praise God we found them in the end. Aren't you grateful for technology? <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there was, remember when my wife was carrying twins, we were, in, um, we were in central London, and the twins, the ladies now will wince, the blokes will go, I'm glad I'm not a woman. Um, when the twins were born, one was £8 and the other one was £7.14, and they were born naturally. I mean, she had her own gravity field towards the end, it was terrifying, honestly, and we're, we're there in the car, we didn't have a GPS, we're there in the car, we're in London, and we're on Oxford Street, and we needed to figure out how to get them, and unfortunately we hadn't clicked at this point that the little arrows on the map, on the roads, meant which way the traffic went on that road, and we just didn't click that. So I remember sitting next to Joan, we're driving along, and she says, I'll just get the map out, and we had, you know the big massive maps that you got? So we had one of them, and she gets the map, and because the babies were so big, she actually couldn't open the map between the three. And she's like, I can't open the map. It was just a bizarre and surreal, surreal experience. But praise God, he knows where we are. Amen? And, uh, yeah. So we're going to get into the, uh, into the Word and just look at some stuff. Have you ever wondered, you know, with all of what's going on at the moment, God can, it says he parts the Red Sea with the breath of his nostrils. It says the hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. It says that he can vanquish the enemy and destroy things in the breath. So when you look at what's going on at the moment, how do you look at it? Because obviously you can just go, and coronavirus is gone. So I'm looking and think, Lord, why, why have you not done that? What is, it, what is it that you're seeing that we might not be seeing? And unfortunately, the media is a creature many times that propagates fear and only gives you the bad news because bad news sells newspapers. And so often what can happen is because of the way that the world is developed now, even Christians, sadly, develop more of their belief system from what they're fed from the media. I saw one post on Facebook a few weeks ago, don't believe all the quotes you read on Facebook, signed Abraham Lincoln. 
<laughs> and this is the world that we're in. But I saw something yesterday, and you know, in all of the stuff that's going on, there is absolutely beautiful things taking place at the same time. And you know, in Italy, the, much of Italy is shut down, and a friend sent me a video, and it was a street, you know, where they have the high flats, so they're high flats, and all of these people, they've been told they couldn't worship together, and they were stood on their balconies, singing and worshipping Jesus from their homes. Could it be that one of the things that the Lord is doing right now, in the potential that we find ourselves in a place that we could be soon in a place that the government could say, we want you to not meet corporately for a while just to kill this thing off. Could it be that the Lord's permitting that because he wants to remind us that church needs to be in our homes? And even if that's not the case, could it not be that we could take advantage of it and say, actually, we can take a pair of twos and win with it. And actually, we're going to not allow the, if you like, the secondary thing to become the primary. Because, you know, the primary is Christ in our homes, isn't it? So I think we've got a golden opportunity and, and that is what's happening. So that's just beautiful, isn't it? And there's a news report today that the oldest person to recover from the coronavirus just recovered. He was 107 years old. So it's not all bad news, is it? And it's just good sometimes to just see the cup half full rather than half empty. The book of Daniel, if you want to turn to it, chapter 7. Um, I'm always interested, I, a bit probably because of the way I'm wired, you know, different gifts work different ways and, and the way that you respond to situations sometimes shows what kind of gift mix uh, a, a person has. I'm always fascinated, you know, if you look at the fivefold ministry gifts, evangelist, pastor, teacher, apostle and prophet, and the way that pe different people have different dominances in their lives, different aspects of the nature of Jesus manifesting in their life. And one of my friends says, one of the ways you can identify if somebody's sick, what is your first gut instinct to that? How do you respond to that? So, of course, the evangelist, the evangelist goes, wants to know if they're saved or if there's anybody else around them who want and take advantage of it that way. The teacher wants to go in and wants to actually help the person understand what they can learn whilst they're in the midst of their challenge and bring that to them. The, the pastor comes, brings some grapes and comforts them and makes them feel like, you know, they're, they're, they're being looked after and being loved. The apostle sends somebody else. And then, uh, and, the, and then the prophet, what the prophet does is, why are they in hospital in the first place? That is many times that I find myself wired that way that I'm, I'm in the place of the why all the time and with stuff that's going on at the moment whether we're aware of it or not um, those of you that were here yesterday Zach showed some videos of what just happened in, um, in Brazil massive stadium events in Brazil and at the end of one of the events there were that many empty wheelchairs they didn't know what to do with them because of all the people that got healed and this is something that's happening across the earth right now. And um, my friend down in London, 
she got the vision that she should call a, a stadium event and that there should be a prayer event for the nation of for the United Kingdom in Wembley Football Stadium. And her church is just down the road from Wembley Football Stadium and they're they're there, they're praying in their meeting and and she walks out the front door of a church and as she walks out the front door of a church, three people walk past and they stop and they say, Oh, what's this building? And she says, Oh, it's a church and they say, Can we come in? And they come in and they get talking. They're the owners of the Wembley Football Stadium. A week later, a businessman offered to pay the full balance for her to rent the Wembley Football Stadium to call a National Day of Prayer in a day. That's already happened. In the Europe, at the moment, Amsterdam and two other places have already got corporate gatherings planned to be in football stadiums to plan for Europe, to, to pray for Europe. So here's the thing. If you were the devil and you knew there were these massive corporate gatherings planned for this year, what would you do? Just a thought. But we can be encouraged by what is happening. But you see, in all of this, you see all this going on. The thing I'm interested in, you hear, um, your pastor said today about the dynamics, that there's prophetic word, that people receive promise. And it seems to be the case that some people seem to see the fulfillment of promise and then others don't. Anybody, does that bother anybody else? It bothers me. It bothers me that there seems to be this dynamic that for some things manifest and others don't that it can even be a situation I've gone into cities and I've visited one church and I've said how's it going and they'll just say oh God's just moving in our city we are in the most extraordinary time we've ever been in God is just breaking out the sick are getting healed people are getting saved people are having angelic visitations and meeting with God and then you literally travel down the road to another church that's on the same street, not literally, but in the same area, and you speak to them, you say, how's it going? So, oh, dying. Oh, dying. The world is ending. And you listen, you feel, how can these two people exist in the same place and yet be, exi- yet be experiencing such different stuff? Because we have the same God, don't we? We do. And I believe that there's some stuff that we can understand, that we can, that we can grasp from Scripture in principle that, that takes place when God releases a promise it's really it's it's personified in the story when Jesus says to the disciples let's cross over to the other side and he tells them we're going to cross over to the other side what's the next thing that happens there's a storm because you see the devil doesn't attack you he's not really interested in you what he's interested in the promise of God on you and in you because he hates the word of God He hates the promises of God and he wants to short-circuit, cut off or cause them not to happen. So that's the thing he comes against. That's what he wants to undermine. Because if he can undermine the word of God and undermine the promises of God, then that's serving his purpose. That's why right now, in certain parts of the world, parts of scripture are being rewritten. Did you know that? That certain aspects of God are being, they're wanting to extract it because they say it offends a certain group. Well, welcome to the gospel. It's meant to offend you a little bit. That's how you get changed. But this is what happens, that God releases promise, and so often what can happen is, I've got this promise, but now all this stuff's happening. Have you ever asked God to increase the level of holiness in your life? Have you ever noticed how grumpy you are the following week? It's just the Lord letting you see the stuff in your life that's not holy. Lord, make me holy. Okay, I'll give you. Lord, make me patient. Never pray that prayer. 
Never pray. Now! <laughs> Never pray that prayer. But so often we can pray stuff and then things seem to contradict what we're praying and we can look at the circumstances and go, oh, hold on a minute. God promised this and it's not reflecting what he said. But actually, when we pray, God gets to work, but the enemy gets to work as well. So this verse in, in Daniel 7.25 gives us just a little bit of an insight into some of the ways that the enemy will seek to operate. It just gives a little bit of a picture. We're gonna, we are going to take the scripture out of context a little bit. I'm not going to give the context of it. I just want to take the principle of this text and then go somewhere else. Speaking about the enemy, it says this, He shall speak vain words against the Most High. Now listen to this. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall speak vain things against the Most High and wear out the saints. That word there, wear out the saints, um, if you look at it, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but praise God, there's lots of stuff that you can use to get into the Hebrew language. Um, it, it, it means to mentally afflict or wear down. In my previous life, I was a butcher. And uh, I, was, I was trained as a butcher. I used to work in a warehouse, amongst other things. And uh, when you get a new knife, I didn't realize this initially. I've discovered this the hard way. You go and get a new knife and then you'd be working all day. And then when you, when you finish work, you go to go and wash your hands. And as you're washing your hands, you're going, yikes, why is my hand hurting so much? And the reason why is because on the back of the blade, because the blade was newly machined, on the back of the blade, the machined edge of the back of the blade, it was actually as sharp as the front of the blade because it had just come from the factory. So what would happen is while you were working, you'd just get these little tiny hairline cuts and one hairline cut doesn't make much difference but when your thumb has been totally cut to rivers, you ever have a paper cut? Worst cuts in the world, aren't they? They barely can see them, it's like that really hurts and this is what the enemy does he doesn't, he doesn't come at you with one big almighty whack but what he does is he's like that irritating <laughs> I'm looking at Nathan because we went to Brazil last year and I told him when we went to Brazil, I said, listen, buddy, there's a lot of mosquitoes, so you need to get, you know, get some mosquito repellent. And bless him, he, um, he had this idea, I'm going to buy a pop-up mosquito net and I can put it over the bed and then I'll be protected. So he puts this jolly thing up. It was an amazing contraption that it just kind of, you know those kids' tents that come out the bag but never go back in? He's just got people on the beach going, I know this came out of here. So he, he got this jolly thing and I came to him the following morning and says, how are you doing? Did it work? He went, well, not so much. I says, why? He says, well, the only mosquitoes in the room were inside my tent. And this was the consistent thing for the whole week, wasn't it? To the point that actually the safest place in Brazil was to be in Nathan's room outside of the mosquito tent. But the thing of it is, have you ever had a mosquito in your bedroom? Do you know the Dalai Lama said this, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sharing a room with a mosquito. And you won't, I don't know what you're like, but you won't sleep. And the thing's just buzzing around. And, and this is what the enemy's like. He just niggles at you and niggles at you 
and niggles at you, and niggles at you, and brings one thing, then brings something else, then brings something else. And other, in and of itself, the single situation is not big. But the constant onslaught of one thing after another thing after another thing, eventually what it begins to do is it begins to build discouragement inside. And it isn't even like you know. It's like the proverbial frog being boiled in the water and it's being cooked alive. But because the temperature is gradually changing, you don't realize. And, it, and it's like, well, don't, don't pray today. Just, you're too tired. Or don't read your Bible that long. And it's not like you wake up one morning and go, I'm going to backslide today. But what happens is passion gradually turns down and your heart gradually grows cold. And before you know it, you've become numb. And many times the things that make you numb are these afflictions that the enemy seeks to send you. Now my laptop's... So he then then says this, Why is he doing this? He's speaking against the Most High. He's seeking to undo God's promises. How's he doing that? He's he's mentally afflicting the saints. There's so many people right now, so many believers who are just tired. They're just tired. And it's it's because of the fact that for many have have just been battling a long time. And they're, they're just having to keep going. But inside they can feel themselves that they're fatigued and they're tired. And, and the, the excitement that was there in, in going to church has, has ebbed where it's shifted from being a passion to being a duty. Because of the constant affliction of disappointment. And for many they've, they've, they've started to believe that, that God heals the sick and, and, and they've prayed and, and they've had to walk away and see people not healed. And the little disappointments, one after another, after another, after another, eventually you become captive and trapped by them that you say, well, I'm not going to try and do that again because the disappointment of it is too painful. Until eventually you become captive by your own perceived failures. And you shift from a place of thriving. You shift from a place of being a dreamer to a place where you're just wanting to survive. And you move from that pioneering, ground-taking, nation-changing mindset that the church is meant to have to a mindset of, I hope we can survive. The next part of the text, he seeks to speak against the Most High, will wear out the saints. Why? To change times and seasons. Why does he send discouragement? Why does he send affliction? Why does he niggle at you? Why does he allow this negativity to happen? Why is it that that happens? Because he wants to change times and seasons. He wants you to live in a place that you're out of God's best. That's what he wants. I have a dear friend who, um, her ministry, she actually the same lady who's, who's going to be looking towards the Wembley event, she, she had a witch come into her church. 
She's actually had several. And, and this lady, she, she, um, she got saved, got delivered, and, um, and, and gloriously is now walking with the Lord. And she had a conversation with her, and, and she said, so what, what do you guys do? How do you operate? And they said, well, we really hate the church. We want to dismantle the church. That's the mentality. And she said, what we used to do is we used to meet, and we, we used to do our occult things where we would, where we would do witchcraft but we've realized that actually the most effective way to dismantle the church is social media. And now we just release hatred over social media. And we found that to produce much more fruit that will release stories that slander leaders and will get Christians fighting and criticizing each other. And will release things and comments about famous leaders and, and, and accusation and, and we propagate it in the body and we get people to be negative and, and critical and then, and then we release bad news and we've discovered bad news create, produces in believers a faith for the negative and we found that to be much more successful and the sad thing of it is this is many believers in our day the first thing that they reach for when they wake up in the morning is not the Bible, it's their social media. And we have a world of young people. I was walking through our church recently, a matter of weeks ago, and I was walking through the church and there's a group of youngsters and they're sitting there, not moving, staring at a fluorescent screen with no sense of interaction, no sense of life, and all of their creativity has been stolen by them, from them, and they're just engaging in a digital make-believe world. And naturally draw more identity from that world than from the Word of God. We are in a sorry state. We are in a sorry state. So you see, the enemy wants to reverse your season. He wants to cause you to live outside of God's promise. He wants to cause you to allow your trauma to become your prophecy. Let's turn to um, Psalm 6. We're going to just read one text and we're going to pray. Don't worry, it gets better. David's having a bad day here, really. I mean, if there's a text for you to read, not to read, when you're, um, when you're feeling a little bit discouraged, this is probably the one, along with Lamentations. Lamentations, I mean, that's, that's happy, a happy reading, isn't it? But just listen to, listen to David here. Oh, Lord, rebuke me not. Let me change the translation. That's the King James. That'll be a bit thee and thou-y. Lord, in your anger do not rebuke me, in your wrath do not discipline me. Be gracious to me, because I'm fading away. Heal me, because my body's in distress, my soul is deeply distressed. But you, Lord, how long do I wait? Have you ever felt like that? No, it's just me, isn't it? Return, Lord, save my life, deliver me, because of your gracious love. In death there is no memory of you. Who will give you thanks when they are dead? 
I'm weary from my... It's not going to be a good worship song, is it, really? I am weary from my groaning. Every night on my couch, I drench my couch with tears. My bed is soaked through. My eyesight has faded because of grief. It has dimmed because of all of my enemies. Get away from me, all you who practice evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my prayer, my plea, and receives my prayer. Let's just go back, just land on that one text. My eyesight has faded because of grief. It has dimmed because of all of my enemies. My eyesight has faded because of grief. Or my eyesight has dimmed, I believe the um, NIV says. You know, in the, um, in, in the Hebrew, that word there, eyesight, I don't think David went blind because of grief. I don't think that was what he was saying. I think there was something else going on. And I think sometimes things get missed because of language. But here's the thing. The moment that you lose hope, you start to die. I was talking with a friend and he was saying to me, you've seen churches grow and understand, I don't believe this lifestyle is good. So just to prefix it with that. But he's been in a situation where he's seen churches grow where finances were corrupt. He's seen churches grow when the leader was in sin. He's seen churches grow in the midst of conflict. But he's never seen a ministry or church grow when the leaders are trapped in hopelessness. Hopelessness is an absolute death blow to anybody. The moment hopelessness gets a grip of you, you become captive to it. It's like an inverted spirit of prophecy that it basically begins to create your world and, and, and the enemy seeks to throw things at you and throw things at you and throw things at you so that what happens is your trauma and your negative experience becomes your identity and you allow your disappointments now to become the field of your expectation. Does anybody understand what I mean by that? We experienced it personally, my wife and I, we went through a, a season where we restored the church building and on the night that we dedicated the church building, the prophet, dear friend who was with us, he said to me as we were finishing, he said, as you enter into 2009, do not be discouraged. That's not a good word. If the Lord says don't be discouraged, it means there's going to be opportunity to be discouraged. So I, I, I'm there, I hear the phone go at 3 a.m. in the morning. I go downstairs and I, I listen to the phone and I can hear police radios and the Lord says to me, it's a problem with the building, don't worry about it now, but go down in the morning. So I went back to bed, told Joe, my wife, I'm going to go down to the church, drove down to the church and on the night that we dedicated the building, it had been a three-year building project, it was a United Reformed Church that we went through the restoration of reforming this building. On the night that we dedicated the building, somebody broke into it and burnt it down. Burnt the building to the ground. And the, the, the news were there and they interviewed me and they desperately wanted to get me to be negative. But I refused to be because we used that building for 24-hour prayer and it would have been entirely possible for somebody to be in one of the rooms. But nobody was. Nobody was hurt. And I was so glad and I just kept smiling because nobody had been injured. 
and the media desperately wanted to take a photo of me looking depressed, and I wouldn't look depressed. So what they actually did is they went, waited for me to walk off to cross the road, and when my head was down as I was crossing the road, they used that photo on the front page of the paper, and there was a headline, Pastor Simon Breaker burnt out. What a great headline that was. So everybody in Leicester's leading, Simon Breaker's burnt out. And I did burn out. I totally burnt out. The discouragement of it, the affliction of it, I just burnt out. Because we'd gone through such a process and a lot of the work, myself and two other guys, we'd done the work and we'd restored this building. So we'd go through this, the whole thing's burnt down. And then the following day, I walk out the front door of my house and some numpty had stole my car. The following day! So it's like, the car is gone. So like, the church is burnt, building's burnt down, the car's gone, and then we're sitting in the lounge the following day, and the lounge ceiling falls off. Because the sink, the, the, the shower tray had been leaking, and we didn't know, and it was a tiled floor, so we couldn't get sorted out. So we had to have the whole of the lounge re-plastered. Re and it's just like, do you hate me or what? I mean, what is going on here? And it was one thing after another thing after another thing. And by the end of that year, I put on enough weight that at the beginning of 2010, I was sitting watching the television and I said to my wife, Jo, I said, sweetheart, where's the remote? And she goes, I don't know. I said, well, where is it? And I'm looking, I'm trying to find the remote. And then I realised I had the remote. My body had swallowed it. It was actually in the folds of flab that I had managed to build over the last 12 months. And I could change channel by doing this. But, but, but the thing with it was, is I realised that all of this discouragement and all of this oppression, all of this stuff had resulted in me resulting to comfort eating, to try and find a place of solace in the midst of all the depression. And I got to the place in ministry that when we talked about what we did, we began to use language like before the fire or after the fire. That this point of trauma had now become a part of our chronological journey that we were actually identifying with the trauma and our expectation was that, that, that this was now our world. We went to the point, personally, we lost over £30,000 of our own money. It brought us to the point of bankruptcy and we, we had no money, we had no food. Then the church disbanded or began to die off because the pastors had no hope. I'd previously in Teesside, when we were living in Teesside, I'd fallen down the stairs when I'd been painting the, the stairhead um, and, and the stepladders had broke and I'd fell down the stairs on my back, bounced down the stairs on my back and put two vertebrae out in my back. So I'd got a back problem and the problem was, is all of this weight, now, if I sneezed, it all did its thing, and it put my back out, I wouldn't be able to walk for days. So I'd literally, at the beginning of 2010, I'd go to preach, and I'd, I'd finish preaching, I'd be walking like this. Every sermon was a passionate sermon, because I was in pain for the entire duration of the message. And when the message would finish... I just have to leave because I had to get home to lay down because of the amount of pain I was in. I remember my Bible was on the chair and actually walking across to get my Bible and having to ask the person there to pick the Bible up for me because I physically couldn't bend to pick the Bible up. Internally, I was dead. My hope was gone. 
because of constant onslaught of affliction. We'd had a baby die at 14 weeks. We had insurrection in the church. We had all of these things and the enemy just attacked us from every direction. And you know that word, my, my eye became dim. That word there, eye, in, in the Hebrew, it means wellspring as well as I. And my wellspring had dried up. I just got discouraged. So at the beginning of 2010, the Lord said to me, do a 40-day fast, which was going to help. And he said, John 10.10 for 2010. So I read John 10.10. It says, the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. And the Lord said to me, my son, you've been treating the first half of the verse like it was a promise that you should have faith in when it's actually a warning for you to stand against. And I want you to take authority and begin to declare that everything in your life that does not reflect fullness of life is subject to change. And I want you to begin to declare that those things begin to shift now. So we began to go through this journey. We began to pray. And in the May of that year, of 2010, after a thought, you lose a lot of weight when you do a 40-day fast. That's not the way to lose weight, incidentally, but it helps. So at the end of that, I've still got this major back injury. And um, the Lord says to me in the May, I'm going out to Bethel in Reading. He says, um, I want you to call um, your old sports instructor, and I want you to tell him that you're going to go back training. I'm thinking, you're having a laugh. You are having a laugh. I mean, this is extreme sports that he's saying I should go back into. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I phone up my, my friend Dave. I said, Dave, um, at the end of May, I'm going to be coming back, coming back to training. He goes, great, it's so good to see you. And I, I put the phone down. I thought, oh, I'm having a laugh. So I said to my wife, so I'm going to get back into sports. And she's like, because I'm, I'm walking like this. And, uh, and we get out to Reading, and I'm sitting in the, um, I'm sitting in the prayer room, they have a healing rooms where they have raffle tickets and they give you a number and you sit there and wait for your number to be called and then you get, and then you get prayed for. I've been there four times previously but I'd avoided the prayer room. Over the time that I'd been doing that, I was going out to Ukraine, going up to people saying, you've got a bad back, haven't you? They go, yes, yeah. so be healed and their back would get healed. And then I'd walk away. I'm like, hey, oh, there's somebody else on the other end of this arm, you know. I tried having words of knowledge for myself. It didn't work. That was a joke. Don't look at me so seriously. Um, and, and in the midst of it, so I finally muscled up the courage because I got to the place that I believed God wanted to bless everybody else. But for some reason, the constant flood of discouragement had got me to the place that I was willing to believe that God loved everybody else and wanted to bless everybody else, but for some reason, not me. So I avoided the prayer room because I didn't want to be disappointed. But after he said this to me about fullness of life, I, I went, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go. So I went in there. I remember sitting down in there and they've got like people painting and music going on. And, and this young lad walks into the back of the room. I'm still in profound pain. He walks into the back of the room and as he walks in to call the next group of people in to get prayer, he says, um, as I was walking in, the Holy Spirit told me that there's a man here, you've got two vertebrae out in the base of your spine, 
and God's going to heal you today. I thought, that's me. And I stood up and it was a bang as I stood up. My spine straightened on the spot. I've never had a problem with my back since. In one moment, things that were out of alignment came into alignment. Do you know, Job declared, there's hope for a tree that even if its stump is rotting in the ground, at the smell of water, it will spring again. And you see, what happened, I got the smell of hope when Jesus said, everything that's not fullness of life is subject to change. We began to proclaim it, began to declare it, At this point, we're now in debt, over £44,000 worth of debt because of various different things with our house and with the church building and all of this stuff. And the Lord gives me some wisdom about it. I call my prophet friend up in Glasgow, Emma Stark. I said, listen, Emma, does this make any sense to you? I feel like the finances and all of this stuff has been spiritual attack because of what we're seeking to build in Leicester. And she starts prophesying down the phone to me, not knowing the stuff that had gone on. And she says, we're going to break this thing right now and you're going to come out of this season into a new season. And she prays over the telephone. I put the telephone down. Half an hour later, somebody phones me up who'd lent us £4,000 and they said, God's just told me I'm to cancel your debt. I don't want the money back. The following morning, we receive another phone call from somebody who'd lent us £10,000 because we'd had some issues with the roof on our house when we moved house, so our mortgage was £10,000 short. And she says over the phone, God's told me you're not to pay back the £10,000. £14,000 were deleted within 24 hours. Then on the Sunday, the trustees contact me and say, listen, the church actually owned £30,000 of our house. It kind of came with, with the job. And the, 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 on the Sunday, the church, the trustees said, listen, we don't think it's right that you and Joe invested all that money in the, in the building project and the church owns £30,000 of your house. So we're going to delete that debt. So within four days, £44,000 worth of debt was deleted. At the beginning of the same year, the, the vertebrae in my spine left, uh, left, yeah, now I have no spine, um, but the, the, the vertebrae in my spine that was out of alignment came into alignment and suddenly we then came into a second wave that we went through this bizarre season of stuff happening that I'm in a meeting with a major international speaker. And this guy just stops in the middle of his message, just stops and he goes, Simon? I said, yes, the prophets haven't been honoured in the United Kingdom, have they? I said, not really. And he just stopped in the middle of his message, walks across the room and says, as an apostle, I repent for the dishonour you've experienced, takes a wad of money out of his pocket and gives it to me, and the next thing I know, I'm looking at the ceiling. Because the presence of God hit me. And the season shifted. We're now ministering in more nations than I've got time to go to. Have to turn down invitations because of what God's doing. Am I trying to pump me up? No, I'm not. Not at all. But do you know what? I don't believe that my experience is unique. 
I believe that the enemy has been seeking to wear out the saints. And I believe that there's many of you in this room right now, and as I've talked about the little niggles and things that come and discourage and break you down, that you know that you have been carrying that. And you know that you've stood taller and you've allowed your trauma to become your identity. And now you're almost in a place where it's like, well, we've had one good day. That means we're destined to 75 bad ones now. He does it to churches. He does it to families. He does it to individuals. And if you're being attacked by the devil, well done. You must be getting right up his nose. And the Lord wants you to know that if you have been honoured with an attack from him, it is because he considers you to be a threat. And the level of resistance that God allows you to face is a direct reflection to the level of glory he wants to clothe you in. And the roads of your greatest trial are the way to your greatest victories. And we're told by Paul that we comfort others with the comfort that we have received. And when you go in the gym and you you walk in, I remember walking in there with my daughter and she picked up this weight and she said, Daddy, it's heavy. I said, yes, sweetheart, that's why it's called a weight. Otherwise it'd be called a light. And see, God will have you push against something that feels beyond your capacity and he'll bring you to the place that you go, I can't take any more. And then the Holy Spirit goes, it's working, it's working. Because they're dying inside and they're coming into that place that they're recognising that I'm their source of strength. And in the midst of it all, eventually the burnt down building of your life, the doors are opened and you're allowed to revisit. And I walked into our burnt down building and there's ash everywhere and all of the stuff we'd taken so much time to restore was, was just on the ground. The chair frames were there. There were no seats. I walked into my office. I had the biggest single Christian volume in existence because the heat had melted all the books together into one. I thought initially, I thought, oh, praise God, my books have survived. And then I tried to take one off and they were all stuck together. So I flew the book, threw the bookcase across the room because I wasn't happy. And I had a bit of a temper tantrum. And when I finally pulled myself back together, I hope it's okay to be vulnerable. I have now, so it's too late, isn't it? Once I got it all together, after I'd sort of let the Lord know that I wasn't impressed that the building had burnt down and my back wasn't working and my car had been stolen, our baby had died and we'd lost all our money and we were nearly bankrupt and we're getting our food from a food bank. The food bank that we started to help other people was now the source of our own income. Because the businessman that was supporting our ministry heard the Lord tell him that he wasn't to support us any longer. So overnight our income dropped by £1,500. So I've got my children there and they're saying, Daddy, I'm praying that there's such and such in the food pickup today. Standing in the city centre at that point thinking I'm going to have to get a job Lord because I've got no money but I've not been in work normal work for like 20 years I don't even know where to start 
And I stood there on six bricks. I can take you there. And I looked at those six bricks. I just stood there, just down the road from the job centre. And as clear as anything, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Simon, are you serving me because you can afford it? Or are you serving me because I called you? I said, well, it's because I, you called me, Lord. He says, well, then you know what to do. So I remember going back home and, and sitting with Joe and saying, sweetheart, if we lose the house, let's lose the house serving the Lord. And it was at that point this stuff shifted. But you know, after I'd flung the bookcase across the room and had my temper tantrum, I looked at my desk. It was all ash on my desk. And there was Mickey Mouse. my business card holder that my friend from Fort Lauderdale had given me. Little pewter business card holder. And there in the midst of all the ashes of my loss was Mickey Mouse with his hands raised up to his neck in ash. And the Lord said, he can praise me in the midst of the loss. How about you? So you might be going through a hard time, difficulty and challenge. But in the midst of it, God will make himself known, faithful and good. Because he always does. Because it's what he's good at. So don't be discouraged. Because right now, some of you are that stump in the ground that you feel like you're rotting. But at the smell of water things begin to spring again why don't you stand up